This morning, our passage is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. As we look this morning, how to give Satan a punishing migraine. That seems to be an interesting thing to think about. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. We all know people that, well, are a headache, but people that have headaches. We all know them, don't we? People that have recurring headaches and uh, with migraines. And I'm, I'm one of those fortunate ones. I don't have to put up with that kind of stuff. Although recent weeks I've experienced a few little headaches. Just uh, I think it's more of a sinus thing, more of an allergy thing, or maybe haven't had my caffeine yet for the day. But a couple of aspirins is all I need, and I'm fine. So it's hard for me to identify with people that just have those throbbing painful migraines that just will not go away. Some of you have been there and some of you know others that have, but their countenance, their look, the, the anguish in their face is, is just not a state, a good state of mind for you to see them in. Believe it or not, not everything goes well for Satan. Sometimes we depict him as, as just really having a heyday, really having a ball and, and, uh, and I think that he does have his heydays and he does gain ground and so on. But there is a way to really give him a punishing migraine. How would that be? Well, I received this email quite some time back. I think I got it from Maribeth. And it's cute. And it is oh so true. So let's like look at it for just a moment. Did you know that when you carry the Bible, Satan has a headache? When you open it, he collapses. When he sees you reading it, he loses his strength. And when you stand on the word of God, Satan can't hurt you. I like that. Do you remember that email, Maribeth? You send me thousands of them, so you may not remember that particular. <laughs> but you know, here's what's interesting. Here in America, I am not sure that Satan is so bothered by seeing a Bible. You say, well, he's got to be, you know. He's got to be bothered by seeing a Bible. Well, why is Satan not that bothered by seeing a Bible in America? Well, do you know that the average home in America has six to ten Bibles in it? The average home, most of you probably have more than that. I know I do. Six to ten Bibles. And the majority of Bibles in America are probably collecting dust. Don't you think? <laughs> and... um the pages are not very limber. The book is almost in mint condition. So just seeing a Bible, I don't think Satan is even bothered by it. Do you? Why would he be? There's no power. There's no, uh, um, you know, influence of a, an unopened Bible. But if you carry a Bible, as the email says, I think Satan begins to kind of take notice and gets, begins to get a headache. It must be because he knows, uh-oh, they're showing an interest in God's word, and I don't want to see that. But then we go on, when you open it, Satan collapses. Why would that be? Well, it's like your enemy has you cornered, and you're his, you're his enemy, you're his prisoner, but he knows 
there's a secret weapon. I hope they don't find it. Because even though I've got them cornered and I've got them in my hands, if they find that weapon, I know I'm done. And so Satan is like that. He knows that when you open that Bible, you're going to find the weaponry there that you need to, uh, to, to, to divert him, to make his doom come. But you not only have a Bible, now you open it, you show interest in God's word, and now Satan begins to feel faint when he's thinking of you. He knows you have the weapon to overcome him. You haven't used it yet, but he knows it is coming. The word of God is just that powerful. And you're about to go on to the attack against him. But you not only open the Bible, you go on and read it. And you read it as if this book is full of gold nuggets. This book I can't put down. This book has my attention. It's got stuff in it. I've I've got to take notes. I've got to think about it. It speaks to your heart. It begins to shape you on how you look at your world, how you look at your family, how you look at your job, how you look at your future, your spiritual conditions, the things you value in life. And when you do that, Satan goes pale. He freaks out. He panics. It's like he's just lost something so valuable to him. My daughter this past week called me. Oh, goodness. Friday. Dad, I cannot find my wedding ring. Oh, you talk about panic. I said, well, did you tell your husband? Yeah, he seems to be okay. But she's panicked. I've lost my ring. And, you know, I don't know where you begin to look for those kind of things. And we're praying that she'll find that ring. But anyway, Satan's like that. He's lost something valuable to him when you when you open that Bible and you read it and you show interest in it and it begins to shape your life and he loses his strength. He goes angry. He goes into a tirade. He thrashes around and he goes limp, muttering to himself and to his demons, I know I should have kept them from the word. I tried. I put everything in their way to distract them. I needed to keep them from the word, but... They've fallen in love with God's word. And he curses. He hisses. He tromps off. Why? Because when you stand on the word of God, Satan can't hurt you. It seems to be this very thing that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to the young Timothy. You know, he, he, Paul is writing to Timothy and he, he's telling him just how powerful, just how effective the word of God can be against Satan. And, and Satan, or, or the Lord wants us all to receive that message this morning, how to give Satan a punishing migraine. But it, it's really about our spiritual success and livelihood depends on this very thing, God's word. So I must have a Bible in my possession, but it won't do a thing if you don't open it. You can have 50 of them. Satan is not bothered at all. But if you open it, if you show interest, if you begin to read it, if you begin to write down notes or put notes in your head, if you begin to shape your life by it, your values by it, your future by it, your spiritual well-being by it, then Satan loses his spiritual grip on you and he goes into a migraine, a devastating one. Why is that? Let's look at that. Why is the word of God so offensive to Satan? Let's look at the reasons. The number one thing is God himself is given to us 
through the Scriptures. Paul writes, all Scripture is God-breathed. Did you catch that? God-breathed. The breath of God is in the Scriptures. Now, let's look to see what that means. What does God-breathed means? First of all, we start with the premise, if it is God-breathed, that means to us, this really is God's message to me. Do we believe that as Christians? The world may argue that. The, uh, those that came through the Enlightenment period began to take God's word and took their scissors and cut out big, big portions of it and said, well, now you're left with maybe what God said to you. But we believe the entirety of the Bible is God's message to us, don't we? It is a spoken word of God. And here's how we come to that conclusion. We come to that conclusion that it's God's word to us because you and I believe in a real God, don't we? We believe in a God that created. We believe in a God that is sovereign. We believe in a God that is unlimited. If that's the case, we believe in a God that is fully capable of giving us his message. Some people get stumped on this thing. They say, well... Uh, it's got some errors and it, it, it's got some fairy tale stuff. And, uh, you know, it's almost as if they're saying there's no way God could have given us his message. It has to have errors. But we don't believe that way. We believe if God created, you think about the created expanse out there. If God is unlimited, if God is sovereign, isn't he capable of giving us his message? Sure. And so we believe that. We also believe in a God who wants to communicate to his creation. We are the highest of his creation, his spiritual creation. And and God wants to communicate to us. Don't you believe that? Would a God who is that unlimited not create creation he could communicate with? No, he wants to communicate. So the Bible is part of his communication. We also believe then that the Bible is God's most effective way of speaking to us. Now, we believe God speaks through creation. In other words, we believe if you go out there and you begin, and I've done this and you've done this, and you begin to look at the skies, or you begin to look at the mountains, or you begin to look at the wheat fields of Kansas, and you begin to realize God created all of this, it will speak to you. That is called revelation. Natural revelation. And, and your God is speaking to you through those kind of things. God speaks to some people through dreams. I've met a few people, not many, who will say they heard an audible voice from God. But all of these things are pretty in a minor category as to how often God speaks through his word. It's his main avenue of communication to us. God speaks through a service. Through a preacher, God speaks through other means where you just know you have that sense God is speaking to me. But still, the greatest way God speaks to you is in his word. It is God breathed. What does that mean? Well, you know, most of the books you'll pick up and read, and I know a lot of you ladies, you read those special novels, little Christian romance novels. I like to read novels. 
Uh, I brought up last week, you know, Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol, all the books he wrote. You can read all those books, but guess what? Either the author is dead and gone, or you have never met them. You don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. So you're reading their book, but you're not really communicating with the author, are you? But what about the Bible? Is God dead? Spirit of God is alive. So when you're reading this book, unlike all other books, the author is speaking to you. How different that is from other books. God breathed means that very thing. And God is, do that, is doing that. It, it refers to a personal book hand-delivered to you by the Spirit of God. So I must have a Bible in my possession. Let's move on here. God breathed then means this. There is power in it. The breath of God always comes with power. The same power that created, the same power that performed miracles, the same power that did awesome things is in this book as we take it to heart. There is power in this book. And if you are a Christian and you've spent years in this book, you will look back on your life and you will say, yes, there were times where the Word of God spoke to me and the Spirit of God gave me what I needed in my life and there was power in it. God breathed. The next thing we look at uh, would be this, that God breathe means a personal presence of God in the words. It is a person speaking to you and interacting with you as you read God's word. So God's word is unique from all other books, isn't it? There's other books that are about God. There's other books I know that inspire you. You've been reading through Francis Chan's books and in other books in all of your study groups, and those speak to you, don't they? But only the Bible is what we call totally, from cover to cover, word by word, God breathed. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. Well, let's move on here to number two. The scriptures becomes our lifelong schooling classroom. Paul writes, all scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training, in righteousness. So let's look at all of those four things quickly. All scripture is useful for teaching. The truth comes from God's word, doesn't it? Now, back in 2000, when I was a computer, computer illiterate, I decided it was time to learn a little bit about the computer. So I signed up for an introduction to computer class at Seward County Community College, clear out in liberal Kansas. And began to take that class, Introduction to Computer for Adults. Really what it was, Computer for Dummies, you know, that type of thing. But I was fortunate to get a, a professor that it didn't take me long to realize this guy knows everything. I mean, he is, he is uh, a genius. He knows every part inside that computer and what it does, its function. He knows the history of the computer. He knows how it all works together. He knows how to fix them. He knows about keyboarding. He knows about the software, the disks, the, the programs. Everything about the computer he knew. 
And so I listened in class because I was a dummy. I needed to learn. I saw him as the ultimate expert, and he could answer any and every question. He could help with any issue I brought to him. He could work out any problem I needed to to have help with. Uh, he knew everything. And you know, the first first class when we where you you learn, and then you go to the lab and you start working on the computer. I didn't know where the on-off button was. I was pretty illiterate. And then. He knew all the things I had to relearn about a computer that I thought I knew about the computer or thought I had in all this misinformation. And, and he was the expert. Well, do you know what? That God's word has to be approached in the same way I looked at that professor. This is truth. And I don't change the manual, do I? The manual changes me. It teaches me. It is information that I need. And so when uh, the script, when Paul writes, all scripture is useful for teaching, here's my professor. And everything that I need, I, I live by in this word. Paul goes on and says that all scripture is good for rebuking. You know what he's saying? He's saying when we get off the road spiritually, scripture is, is what will rebuke us and show us. It means that the scriptures are good for, for our good and that God shows us our rebellious thoughts and actions. When you really want to learn from God's word and you really want to absorb it into your life, then you know what? God is going to start showing you things about yourself from his word. And you're going to start seeing things about yourself and God only does it for a reason because he's not the critique out there that just can't wait to write it all down and he wants to do it to make you better, right? God is doing that. So God rebukes not as a harsh taskmaster, but rather as someone who is deeply interested in making you better. You see, getting saved, coming to God as a sinner is a wonderful, glorious thing. Right? But if God is a, a God of all love, would it make sense that I'm a diamond in the rough? That God says, okay, you're saved. And then God says, okay, that's the way I'm going to leave you. No. God not only loves you, wants to get you saved, but God says, I see a diamond in the rough and I'm going to bring the diamond out in you. So doesn't the Bible do that? It rebukes. It shows us our rebellious ways. It shows us where we yet need the, the touch of a God-breathing a breathing God, a spirit-breathing God to change our lives and make us better people. Paul goes on to say then that the Bible is our classroom in that it also corrects us. And uh, the Bible is a perfect GPS system. I don't have one of those. But most of you do in your car. But isn't it kind of an impersonal thing? Right? Isn't it the voice a little odd? Is it really, does it really sound like a real woman? I don't know. Or man, whatever it is. It's kind of interesting. Probably frustrates you at times. But it does know what it's doing, right? You've, you've had, okay, I guess even 
It's man-made, so no wonder. Man-made things can get off. But the Bible knows where you need to go spiritually, but it does it through the Holy Spirit, and He is a personal navigating system. And so often in life, we err, don't we? We get off some. We lose focus momentarily. We get short-sighted. We get self-absorbed, problem-absorbed, and God comes in, and through His Scriptures, He corrects us, right? Doesn't that happen? And so that's what Paul was telling Timothy. And then the fourth thing is, he trains us in righteousness, training us to live God's way. Do you graduate from the Christian living school in one week, one month, one year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Let me ask you this. If you were picking soldiers, group, say, say you're, you need a group of 100 soldiers, you've been commissioned to go into this uh, battle thing. And they said, you can pick out a hundred soldiers. Maybe you've got a thousand to pick from. Would you pick those soldiers that have only been at it for one year or those who have been at it for 10 years? You would pick the most experienced ones, wouldn't you? That is, you see, soldiers, they just keep training and training and getting better and better and better. And God does the same with us. Training never stops. And that brings us to point number three, which is this. The Word of God equips us to succeed and please God. Paul writes, so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what God is saying to us here. If you stay in God's Word and you let it teach you, rebuke you, correct you, train you, then every task God gives to you, you will succeed at. Is that the way you read it? That's what Paul was saying. We don't need to be afraid, do we, when God puts it before us or when God allows it in our lives if we are into His Word. I've heard it put this way, the grace of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can just assure you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you give him a punishing migraine. You not only hold it, you open it. You begin to read it. The breath of God begins to pour into your heart and speak to you, and you say to yourself, oh, I'm learning that. Oh, I see here, God is telling me something about my life. Oh, the Spirit of God is telling me to, to hang in there, not give up. Oh, the Spirit of God is using a story of Daniel, of David, of Joseph, of Paul, of Timothy. And I, I see what's going on in my life, and the Spirit of God is speaking to me about my life now. Now, you're giving somebody a punishing migraine. You know, recently I, I heard the testimony of a man who, who was a pastor. And uh, he'd been pastoring for about five years. And he fell into sin. And lost his marriage. Lost his, his uh, pulpit, his church. Everything. 
But then he found his way back to God. Actually found his way back into a ministry. And he came to speak to a group of pastors to share about his experience to help us. But here's what he said, and I wrote it down because I thought, wow, here's somebody that knows something, and he's really got something to say. He put it this way, if your head is in the word, your future is predictable. You will be sound. And I wrote that down just to keep reminding me Never get out of the Word. A new year is approaching in 2012. Did you know that? Christmas is six weeks away. I keep telling my wife how far it is, and she keeps telling me, shut up. Don't tell me that. (laughs) She doesn't use that word, but she tells me, be quiet. I don't want to hear that. And new year is seven weeks away in a day. Fifty days away is a new year, 2012. We've had such good, warm weather that we don't even think it's, it's there, but it is. But if you really want to make it the year of the word in your life, you can. Do you know what? That uh, if, if you're saying to yourself, you know, I want to I grow in my Christian life. I, I want to, I just, I, I want to move up. Some people do that, and so they say, well, you know, I... I need to find something exciting in my life. You know, I need something, maybe a, a CD, maybe music, maybe something, maybe whatever to just excite me. Maybe that's what's going to do it for me in the new year. Some people think, well, you know, maybe it's a, it's a bigger church. You know, there's more programs, more excitement, better music, better preaching. Whatever you can think of. Maybe it's, it's that. I, I think this is a time I just need to grow up in my Christian life. Or they come up with other things, attractions, that they think this is the thing that is going to move me up in my life. You know what? It doesn't matter what you try. If you bypass this, it will not do it for you when you come to the end of the year. And isn't it interesting that Jesus in the word, in the, in the gospel, it never says in any place in the Bible, if you're lacking spiritually, find a bigger group to be with. Do you read that in this word anywhere? Or if you're lacking spiritually, find more excitement somewhere. Is it in this word? Jesus even put it this way, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. A thousand people can gather together and maybe do a lot of excitement, but if they're not in the Word, there's not a lot of God-breathed stuff going on. Two or three or six or twelve can get together, and if they are in God's Word, and God's Word is doing what I've been talking to you about today, There is power in that very thing. Here's what's exciting to me. You know, um, you're saying to yourself, I want to jumpstart my spiritual life. Good. I hope that's the case. It's the word, isn't it? I I don't know, as Michael was reading this morning, he did so well. If you caught all those lines, how Jesus is in every book of this Bible... That was exciting to look at that, to think of that. Um, Sherry, 
back there. Sherry, did I give you the coffee cup? What does it say on it? That's all right. That's all right. It says I'm waiting. And it's got a park bench. And I gave, Sherry likes to drink coffee, a little gift. It's kind of a coffee cup that you look at and you realize there's an empty park bench. There's a little caption, I'm waiting. God is waiting for you to get into the Word. Drink your coffee. Spend time with Him. And neat, great things, powerful things will happen in your life. Some of you are already doing this. I know Tim's class has brought this up, the daily Bible. Some of you have ordered it. Some of you are already starting to read it. It is, Tim could explain it a little bit better, chronological reading of the Bible. And so there's 365 days in here. You keep up with the Bible. And uh, in one year's time, you will have covered the Bible and uh, the message that it gives to you. What we are doing is we're going to take this on as a church in 2012. There you go. Boy, isn't that good? (laughs) And we've made it easier for you. You can go out and buy one. The Christian bookstores have it. And it doesn't matter to us where you buy it. But if it would make it simpler, easier for you, there's an order sheet out in the on the vestibule or the counter out here. And uh, you can get it in soft cover. You can get it in hard cover. I can't remember. You can get it in compact edition. If you're like me, you better not do that. I need bigger print than this. But um, anyway, you can order it. It's not very costly. I think $10 to $15, $17, maybe the various forms. If you want to go even fancier, you can probably go to the Christian bookstore, get it leather bound with your name on the front, whatever. But in 2012, the year of God's Word, can we do that? It'd be great. And I know that, that God would bless us for it.